Hi there. I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you something important. I'd like to welcome you to Earth. Now, I know you've probably been here for quite a while already, but when most people arrive, they don't actually get the formal introduction. So, you probably already experienced a few of the things that Earth has to offer. The endless blue skies, the fresh mountain air, breaths of exasperation, gasps of pleasure, Fields of wheat that seem to go on forever. Coconut curry, coffee, chocolate and cherries. Shakespeare, Douglas Adams and dictionaries. <laughs> so many things that are false and so many things that are true. <laughs> Make yourself comfortable because all this is for you. To enjoy, revel, excel and relax too. I'm really glad that you made it. There's not many people do. I just wanted to let you know that you're never alone. Welcome to Earth. Welcome home. Today I'm going to present an interview with Mr. Derek Bros. Fascinating character. In this interview, I ask him how he began to structure his life around his needs. So he wrote an interesting Facebook status the other day and I asked him about that how he managed to structure his life in a way that was fulfilling for him, um, that didn't necessarily involve money or status. We also talk about freedom cells. So these organizations, these small organizations that are popping up using the concepts of the Octolog. Um, so eight people in a group together working, trying to develop survival skills or communication skills uh, so they can come together and even help each other. And we also talk about his new book with John Vibes, uh, The Manifesto of Free Humans. Uh, so he explains a little bit about that. And these books are all about how to bridge the gap between spirituality and liberty. And even bridging the gap between different people's ideas about liberty. We also talk about the Decentralize Your Life Tour, where he's traveling with his crew 46 cities over the United States uh, to find out more about people, develop new freedom cells and all this kind of thing. So if you enjoy the show or the podcast, jump on over to patreon.com slash paradise paradox and you can subscribe for a monthly payment or a monthly contribution. It doesn't have to be big. It can be a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. Anything uh, would help us out. That would be really great. Uh, patreon.com slash paradise paradox. Thanks so much. Let's get into it. Derek Bros, freedom lover, one of the founders of the, the Freedom Cells Network, activist, ag agorist, author of several books, including the upcoming Manifesto of the Free Humans. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. It's great to speak to you. And been nice yeah. to meet you recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. Uh, but the other day you wrote this uh, Facebook status talking about how in 2009 you decided you don't want to pursue wealth or status or anything you wanted to fill your life with interesting experiences and i guess a lot of people have this dream it, it kind of passes through their mind but they let it go you actually did it so i wanted to ask you how you did that and how you decided that was so important yeah sure uh, i think that's an interesting point to start with um you know i've realized more and more especially recently as i'm reflecting on those thoughts, you know, that I made a choice consciously almost 10 years ago to start living my life in a way that served my spiritual health and my mental health and my physical health more than, you know, pursuing material status, wealth and those kind of things. Um, I think for me, it really started with going to prison. I got locked up in 2005, um, you know, well over, I guess, 12 years ago now when I was just turning 20, about a week before I turned 21. So I was really lost in a lot of depression and things that I'd been dealing with since I was younger, got into drugs, 
went through a bunch of crazy things and ended up in prison. And that really began this sort of rethinking of the direction I was taking my life in and the choices I was making and trying to understand who I was as a person. I really started to get into meditation while I was locked up and started to read about Buddhism and other other sort of uh, spiritual teachings and just reflection on, in, in general about who I was and what direction I wanted to go. And it was in the, the pursuit of that and in the uh, the process of that after getting out and then going back and forth being locked up um, and coming in and out of uh, prison, basically I started to think to myself like how I could be free, what in what ways I could celebrate being free once this was all over. I got locked up for a while, then I got out and I was on probation, then I went back and forth. And it was basically three and four years of in and out of uh, institutions and probation and drug tests and then eventually getting a felony and parole. And so, and again, through all this experience, trying to start enlightening myself and finding better ways to live, ways to live. And I started to think, you know, what could I do to really uh, be free once this was all over? And I started thinking about uh, different ways I could celebrate my freedom and, and trying to really envisioning and um, manifesting this future that would include something different than all this probation, all this legal BS. And eventually in 2011, I took a, a three-month bicycle tour, and that sort of manif that sort of cemented my beliefs because I just spent three months traveling by bicycle across the, the state of Texas and into New Mexico and volunteering and camping on farms and just camping out and just doing a lot of great stuff. So it was in that in that sort of amidst all that where I just started to realize that none of those other things mattered to me. I don't know if they ever really did matter to me, but at first, you know, I graduated high school, I started going to college and playing that whole role and doing all those traditional things that many of us are told we're, we're expected to do to make, to live a happy life. And, you know, uh, I found that that wasn't necessarily the, the path for me that I'm interested in learning. I'm interested in um, living uh, a fruitful, thriving life, but maybe not in the methods and the tactics and the ways that the majority of society um, buys into. Uh, and yeah, I really made a conscious decision. I remember that, that around 2009, when I made that Facebook post, I was reflecting on those choices. And I remember consciously just deciding to myself that like, you know what, that's what's going to, that's going to be my focus from now on. Like, I want to experience everything that this life has to offer. I want to, you know, experience the ups and the downs. And I think that, like, including going to prison, being locked up, that's sort of another experience, maybe not the one everybody wants to get and maybe not even one I was looking for but I'm able to say that I experienced that and so I want to experience all that life has to offer I don't want to be chained to a single job or chained to a career or really anything that's going to, to hold me back that doesn't mean that I'm against working or I'm against you know um, relationships or I'm inca incapable of focusing on one task at a time or anything like that it just means that I want to make sure again that my life is shaped to benefit and feed my spiritual health. So I, a lot of my activism and work that I do today is is really a part of that. You know, I want to make the world a better place. I want to help myself uh, become stronger and more wiser. And I need the people I surround myself and the institutions that I involve myself with to be a part of that experience. You know, I can't like want to be this really awesome person and then go to this job that I hate and work against myself all day. You know, and like do things that are conflicting with the things I believe in. At least that's not the path for me. And yeah, it's been it's been a beautiful experience just knowing that this is what matters most. I'm going to trust. I'm going to put all my energy and uh, you know just into this, then to trying to experience what I can. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Well, one one thing about this is um, when I uh, when I first interviewed uh, Kenny, he said to me, um, he told me how he left his his home and he just had like two hundred dollars in his pocket and uh, he just set off and started you know, exploring the country. And I said, wow, man, that, I mean, that takes a lot of balls. And he said, well, not really. It was like everything in his life had sort of prepared him to, to take that step. So with you, with you, when you took the, when you made those decisions, was it easy or hard? Were you afraid or it was just sort of natural? I, I don't, <clears throat> I'm sure there was, looking back, I'm sure there was some fear and, and just and, and the understanding that, well, okay, this is going to be different. This might be difficult. This might not be the easiest path. Like I really think about the bike tour aspect of it because uh, that was just such an instrumental part of me really changing my lifestyle. And I remember going into that thinking like, well, this isn't going to be, you know, 
rainbows and cupcakes all the time. This is going to be a difficult trip. There's going to be times when I'm probably reflecting on it, like, why did I take this? Why am I in this situation? You know, but I decided that, you know, whichever, whatever happens, the good and the bad, I'll take it all. And so for me, I think just really, it's just, it's the experience of being locked up and, and going to prison. And then again, before that, having spent the first 20 years of my life, I really feel like I was in a, this fog or this haze, this cloud, you know, I'd spent so much of my young life, uh, really depressed and, you know, dealing with suicide attempts and just different things that I, I didn't have the tools to properly communicate and process at the time. And so drugs were the way that I dealt with them. And it took me a long time to start understanding all that stuff. And as I did, it just seemed natural that, you know what, like, I think I need to start feeding my soul now. I've been living for other people or it felt like that for so long. Um, and I needed to really just find a way to, to put myself front and center, you know, and not in this sort of like, putting my needs over other people in a detrimental way, but just like knowing that, all right, if I'm going to help anybody, I need to help myself. And if I want to really help myself, then I need to enrich my life with experiences and people that are going to provide that. And when you know that that's so valuable and important to you, I think it, it overcomes any possible fears you may have. Mm. Okay. So it's like when the, when you, when your passion outgrows your fear, that's, that's when you really make a decision. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So would you recommend that a similar path, like if somebody's in a nine to five and it crosses their mind, hey, maybe I could be doing something better with my life or, so, you know, something bigger than me, uh, would you recommend it or you think it's, um, you know, just for certain people or what do you think? I think that, you know, everything is going to be different for each person in their, in their circumstance. And this is what I tried to say in that post as well. It's like I'm not mm -hmm. trying to say my particular lifestyle is better than anybody else's because – there are going to be people who are like, hey, I've got three kids that I need to feed and I've got this, this and that. Or they may be like, yeah. hey, well, you're rejecting material wealth and status, but I've got a lot of money and it's been able to buy me, you know, all these fun experiences or whatever. So yep. everybody's going to have different takes on it. I just know for me that this is the path that that suits me the best. And I would say, though, if you have because it seems like there's a lot of people out there who live in ways uh, where they're kind of. I mean, I think I've seen it with my work where people say like, oh, I, I live vicariously through you by following your adventures and following like the things that you're doing and stuff. So what that indicates to me is that they have a desire to do something similar, to go out there and kind of dive in and try a different type of lifestyle or at least be more adventurous in some sense, you know. And hmm. it would be a shame to see somebody go their whole life with this desire to be out traveling a bit more to meeting like-minded people or to seeing new places and to exploring the world and to go their whole life without actually doing that. You know, um, I, I do want to say that just, you know, for anybody who's interested in that sort of, uh, the, the how to, or just in a different circumstance than I am, cause I'm, you know, I'm in my early thirties now, I'm not married. I have no kids. So I have a, quite a bit of freedom to do this, the things that I want to do and to live, I try to live, um, you know, some people call it simple living or voluntary poverty or whatever you want to say, but I try to live in a way that I don't make a, a lot of income. I make enough to pay my bills and to do the things I want to do. I'm rich in other ways and it keeps me um, out of the uh, the tax collector's eyes and, and hands in certain ways. But also I recognize it has certain limitations that other people might want to live different ways. But one of the books that really helped me kind of reevaluate this, and it was a book that I listened to on audiobook when I was on my bike tour. It's called The Four Hour Work Week. And mm -hmm. it's by this guy named Tim Ferriss. And he's a very successfully wealthy man. And you know, he just basically tries to lay out his tips on how he became successful without you know, like at a very young age and without dedicating 80 hours a week to one specific thing. And, and you know, I, I don't know if I agree with everything in there per se, but I think overall the sort of self-help philosophy and some of the real tangible tips that he gives are valuable. And essentially just saying like, you know, why spend the bulk of your years doing things that, you know, for somebody else in the hopes of living like, you know, the years of your life that are usually the most unhealthy when people are older and weaker and, you know, have a diff more difficult traveling. Why do that your whole life? And so he talks about sort of inserting many vacations into your life and like making these target goals, like having different trips kind of sprinkled throughout your life and finding ways to make again, like uh, make your, your needs feed you. And he, so he gives different tips. And a lot of it comes down, I think, to being sort of an entrepreneurial mindset, which again, also works into my work as an anarchist and as an agorist because that's a big part of the message is to be an entrepreneur and to go out there and to create and to build 
the solutions that you want to see. So overall, I think it all just sort of fed into this beautiful thing where I'm like, oh, wow, I discovered this philosophy. It talks about being an entrepreneur. Cool. I've already been an entrepreneur. It just seemed to come naturally, you know? And so it's, it's been great to make all these connections and see how it's, uh, it's a part of, you know, something bigger. So let's talk about, uh, freedom cells. So, uh, this is a very interesting idea how people can kind of take freedom into their own hands. Do you want to explain it a bit? Sure. Yeah. So freedom cells is a concept that um, I've been working on now for over a year. And I picked up the the phrasing from a friend of mine, John Bush, who's an activist in um, Austin, Texas, just a few hours away from me here in Houston. And he developed a concept from another guy, Bob Podolsky, who calls it Octologues. But essentially, the core idea is to bring people together in small groups, small groups in their own community, the ideal number being eight. And there's a lot of research behind eight as far as why humans work well in this sort of smaller number. You know, the idea being that if there's too many people, we're disorganized. It's hard to communicate and to get tasks done. But if there's too little people, it's, it's again, it's too difficult to, to do certain things. So eight seems to be a pretty ideal number. And there's also some historical uses of people working in groups of eight. If people do the research, they can find some interesting stuff about that. Um, so the, the idea is get in your community, find seven to nine, eight people to work together to teach each other skills, to teach each other philosophical concepts, to uh, build gardens, to uh, get prepared, have, you know, uh, emergency plans for your community, you know, and not necessarily even just like, you know, the end of the world kind of thing, but just if you have, a, you know, some kind of weather emergency in your area or something, uh, preparedness group. Also, again, having uh, multiple, say, maybe three to six months of backup supply of food. Everybody in your group has that. Everybody in your freedom cell has encrypted form of communication. Everybody has some form of self-defense or, you know, maybe he knows how to use a firearm or whatever you're comfortable with. Or maybe your group takes a self-defense class together and you learn a little bit of martial arts. There's just so many different ways that we're trying to take this concept of bringing people together in small groups and then encouraging, once you've built your core group of eight, every individual turning around and then building another one. So then you've got eight groups of eight to 10 people uh, spread across the city. And as we're all building this, the goal is that we're starting to build counter power to the state, not to go violently overthrow them or try to fight them in some kind of you know revolution or something, but in true agorist form to join the counter economy, to create counter institutions to the state. And what I mean by that is we're trying to promote decentralization through this freedom cell concept. The individuals within it are completely autonomous. They don't, you know, this isn't like a form of collectivism where people are bound to the others. It's simply saying that, hey, we're all awesome, empowered individuals who want to know more information, who want to develop skills. Let's come together as a group and let's do that. Let's build each other up while also building up our group. And then you also can say that, hey, I have seven other people here who are on equal footing with me in terms of preparedness. Uh, they all know how to teach CPR. They can all communicate an encrypted way. They all, you know, so you, you can count on these people in these different ways. It can also work in the sense of uh, like maybe your group wants to go out and do cop watching in your neighborhood or uh, as I said, build a community garden or, you know, there's a number of different ways that this tactic could be applied. Um, and it's, it's pretty much unlimited um, the way that we promote it. The website is freedomcells.org. It's essentially been built as like a social network um, where people can search and see how close people are within their range. Like on the website, you can search five miles, 10 miles, 50 miles, and see who pops up in your area. It'll tell you their skills, their interests, et cetera. You connect with them, communicate with them. And the goal is not just that it'll be another social network like Facebook that people will then join and connect to each other and then meet in the real world and start actually organizing these freedom cells. And that we could create this whole network of individuals and groups who are freedom-minded, who are using cryptocurrency, who are you know decentralizing in a number of different ways, promoting peaceful parenting, nonviolent communication, uh, community gardening, community farming, backyard gardening, all these ways that are decentralizing us and taking us away from the systems of power that exist today and giving us more independence in our neighborhoods and on the individual level. Uh, and as I said, with the, the goal of trying to I envision in the future being able to travel with this network and say every person who's traveling on it, they just look on the freedom cell network and they find other freedom cells and you can connect with people and they're like, Hey, yeah, let me show you to the local market or we'll show you where all the other freedom minded people are. We'll plug you in. Here's businesses that'll take cryptocurrency from you. And here's some cool music festivals. And you know, here's all the counterculture, all these different ways that we can create 
a hub for freedom-minded people. And my goal, uh, and this is something that uh, my co-author John Vibes and I discussed in our new book, is to push the Freedom Cell Network to the point of actually building free communities. So those who are interested, and not just building freedom cells within their neighborhoods and their communities, but actually taking the concept and then moving towards getting land and building free communities that are, again, based on this similar concept. Um, and and that's sort of the long-term goal of it. We've, As I said, we've been promoting it now for about a year and a half and going on, and this book release is going to be a big push for that because we really elaborate upon the concept in the book, and we provide examples of how we're using it here in Houston. I live in the Freethinker House uh, as part of the Houston Freethinkers Activist Alliance, and me and two other guys live here, and we host benefit shows to raise money for various causes. We host documentary screenings. We've got a big community garden here. Uh, we're doing skill shares, uh, all kinds of different events just for the people in the community to come out and to participate in. And at the same time, this is like our hub to show how Freedom Cells can work in action and show what we're building. So all that information is uh, it's going into the next book and, and into this upcoming tour that I have going on. And really the goal with that tour is to be able to step back and say, like, we just built 46 new freedom cells in all the cities we visited we just contributed to 46 new communities you know we just met 46 new groups of people and just watched the movement grow and you know since i've started talking about this over the last year or so i we've i've already been contacted by people in new zealand brazil all over the u.s you know uh, the uk people who are just saying hey we're working on a similar idea we call it this or we call it we don't have a name for it yet or whatever and it's it's kind of irrelevant to me i don't really care whether people call it freedom cells or not use the website connect with people that's what it's about you know call it whatever you want as long as we're working towards a similar goal of building local power and trying to educate and empower ourselves so that we can break away from these systems that don't serve us and create something that does serve us you know that's that's really a long term goal of this Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are 46 of these groups already. Maybe more. What I, what I, the 46 mm-hmm. references to the, the tour has 46 stops on it. So we're visiting ah. 46 different cities. And a big part of each stop is going to be like explaining the Freedom Cell concept. And then basically like, hey, you've got maybe there's going to be 15 people there. So like, hey, there's potential for two Freedom Cells right here. Let's see if we can break you guys off and who lives close to each other. And, you know, different try to help them get the ideas rolling. Um, cause I, I, that's going to be a big part of this tour is we want to establish this. I'm really at the point in my activism, my, uh, journalism and just my life that I realize if I want to see the world that I, I envision, or at least a, a world with less violence and more freedom, that there's only so much that we can do by just being on social networks. You know, we just came back from Anarchapulco and you understand the value of connecting with people face to face in real life. Like there's so much yeah. power to that. So I want, I just realized like, if we want to build this and we want this to happen, like we got to go to the people, you know, we got to travel the country and spread the idea and help people who are already working on it. If it's the one person in their community and they're the one interested in the concept, we're going to give them all the information and all the tools we can. And maybe they'll meet new people who are just coming out to hear us speak. And they didn't even know this other person in their community. And then we connect the two of them. And then that's the beginning of a new freedom. So, you know, so mm-hmm. that's going to be the goal with this, uh, spreading this message over the next couple of years. That's really where my work is going to be dedicated is spreading the message in this book, spreading freedom cells, trying to help build them, and then um, launching an intentional community built around these principles in 2020. Uh, that's really my focus for the next few years. Okay. So like a, an, an agricultural, agriculturally based community or it's a, it's a bit different? Uh, yeah. I mean, we want to get land. We want to get land together somewhere. I mean, I've been thinking Texas originally because that's where I'm from and somewhere outside the city where, you know, we're connecting Houston. It's fourth uh, largest city in the u.s and uh there's lots of activity here so it allows us while we're in the city confines to build and kind of grow this message and work with lots of people but we would like to be outside of the confines and restrictions and regulations of the city environment to somewhere um where we a little bit more rural where we can be more free you know and uh the idea being that again just take this concept and build and in, in the book we kind of elaborate upon the the guiding principles we have this triangle that we put an image in the book to sort of show what the community is going to be based around. And then the top of this pier, uh, this triangle would be the sovereignty of the individual, which is sometimes known as the non-aggression principle. It's a similar concept, but each individual is their own sovereign and so is everyone else. So we respect that um, and everybody's ability to be free. We don't res- you know, interfere on and or impede on their ability to be sovereign of their own life. And then another corner of this would be Permagora, which is the synthesis of permaculture and agorism. 
So essentially trying to take the characteristics and the philosophies and the principles of permaculture and applying it to the way that we're going to be building our shelters, the way that we're going to be farming, the way that we're going to be growing our food, all those things. And to me, that's just, again, like taking the uh, the idea of non-aggression and applying it to our our relationship with the planet itself and trying to be as least invasive and destructive as possible. And then the other corner of this pyramid or this triangle will be um, what I'm just referring to as uh, mindfulness and this under this category, we could put things like meditation. We could put uh, group dynamics, group therapy, uh, nonviolent communication, peaceful parenting, um, unschooling. So all those different aspects will play a role in the way that we, as a community, interact with each other. We hope to have regular meditations as a group together, open meditations for people who want to come out, and then with that, those three points of the triangle. You add the agorist philosophy and the counter economics working in the black and gray markets to take power away from the state. And that leads to what we are calling the conscious agora. And that is the basis for this community. And that is all the third part of the, the upcoming book, Manifesto of the Free Humans, breaks down each of the, those points for the, the triangle and then elaborates further upon them. Um, and that's really, we're really saying like, hey, so we're going to build and spread this message over the next three or four years. And then in 2020, when people in the United States are preparing to vote for a new master again, we're going to say, okay, you vote for that. You play that game. We're going to build our community. And then in four years, let's see which one has gotten further, which one has built more freedom, built more value and happiness and joy in our lives. <laughs> That's awesome. So in, in regards to to the freedom cells at the moment, like I know that uh, some of the goals are about mutual aid and and even providing health care to people. How how developed is that at the moment? Um, you know, the thing about it, it's still it's, we're still very on in this, and also it's since it's mm. a decentralized um, thing at this point, there may be some cities in some areas that are further along than this. You yeah. know, I imagine like uh, we're the big propagators of this message, right? But I, w without a doubt, there's other people already starting on this. And as I said, people will reach out to me and say, "Oh, this is an idea we've been doing, or we're doing it in this way." So I really hope, as well as when we're traveling and we're meeting other people. We'll get to learn about this and, and emphasize, hey, we've already got one city that's providing community health care in this fashion. This is how we can all adopt this with our freedom cells and use the ideas that we're do using in Houston, apply them where they fit to your community, adapt them how they fit to your community. And then the same thing, vice versa. We're going to try to take some ideas that we learn from other people and then bring them in. Um, so at the stage we're at now, I think we're we're probably very early in a stage one, you know, so to speak, where it's like, the message is getting out there. It's still very early in spreading it. We're now connecting people together. Uh, we're starting to build first. Getting, I think the first step seems to be is you get to know the people in your freedom cell first. You get to know what everybody's individual goals are, and then what are the goals of your group together? What, why are you coming together as a freedom cell? What is the vision that you're seeking for? Ours is to eventually get land and to build this community. You know that might not be everybody's purpose. They may say, hey, you know what? We've got an incredibly like violent police force in our neighborhood and our specific purpose for a freedom cell is to defend our community so we're going to go out and do cop watching we're going to do neighborhood watches or whatever you know and that might be the main area they specialize in um they're also i put out a video uh when i came back from reporting on standing rock called freedom cells applied to standing rock and basically tried to envision based on my experience how that movement and that action could have been organized in a, in a different fashion and it wasn't really meant to be critical of the movement at all because i was very supportive but just to say that out of visiting you know standing rock and going to ferguson and visiting a lot of these sort of hostile situations over the years i've seen a lot of these actions and i've seen a lot of disorganization on the side of activists and when you look on the other side of the 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 the, the battlefield so to speak you see the police and the military and all of them they're very well prepared they have strategies that they've practiced time and time again and trained in uh, and there's a, a lack of that with activists so i was sort of applying this idea imagine you know so with the standing rock it's just like you've got an open cause anybody can come out who wants to help right well that's a beautiful thing because it allows for anybody and everybody to come but also it's kind of a difficult thing because it allows for anybody and everybody to come and some of those people don't care about the original intentions of the you know the core people maybe they just want to like we saw um provocateurs coming from other places who are like let's set things on fire let's you know be real aggressive they were like you know screw the natives and screw their prayers you know and, and just totally being disrespectful to the communities who've started the movement so there's got to be a way i think for us to 
have some spontaneous order. You know, there's not organization itself isn't a bad thing. It's when that organization becomes centralized and it is taken out of the hands of the people who are involved. You know, and it's like one group of people or one person uh, running mm-hmm. things. But I was sort of suggesting uh, that perhaps you could have a situation where, so, you, so say you have a site of resistance against like a pipeline or whatever it may be, and you're calling for help from the people. You're like, we want you guys here, but we need only the people who are serious about this. So please go to our website or go to our app and fill out this form or whatever. And maybe you put, you know, your areas of interest, your skills that you have. And then based on that, they can decide who they really want to invite, you know, like, and you want numbers, you want people who are going to be on the ground, willing to be, you know, standing on the front line as much as you need medics and you need people who are going to work the media team and you need people who are going to be the welcoming committee. And so then what you could do is start to divide this up. And so maybe you have like one main freedom cell that handles medical areas and one main freedom cell that handles media um, security, et cetera, divided up into these different groups. And then of course, within that first freedom cell, you're like, okay, well, we've got about 20 people interested in security. Well, let's break this off into three different freedom cells, each focused on a different topic related to security. You guys handle this exit, we'll handle this, you know what I mean? So you start dividing the tasks up using the freedom cell concept and applying it to different areas. And I think that's what it's going to take with our communities is once we get to the numbers where we're actually having dozens and hundreds of people who are involved in this movement in different cities, then yeah, we're going to be able to really truly use, like, like I encourage people to use uh, self 411 the app application uh, self 411 get self 411.com which is like it allows you to send out emergency alerts so whether you know you're being abused by a police officer you got a flat tire you got a traffic accident you can send out alerts and people who are around will see it you can create your own cell so the language is already very similar to what we're doing we have a Houston freethinker cell on there so we can send out alerts if we have meetings going on or if there's an emergency situation uh, using self 411 the Freedom Cell website and nextdoor.com, like and all these other sites that are coming out. There's so many decentralized apps that are perfect already for the Freedom Cell concept. They might not necessarily have the sort of anarchist, freedom-minded um, message within them, though. But it's up to those of us who are of that strain to join these apps and then help show those audience, "Hey, look, this tool is perfect for you know building more freedom and for bo- building more value in our communities." So I, I do think that we're in the early stages, but that's the direction we're going is to be able to start dividing uh, up into different areas, whether it's healthcare, whether it's defense and starting to build that, you know, so right now it's up to those who are paying attention, who can be forward thinking to step up to the plate and to be the first ones, you know, whether that means you're the one person in your community right now and you go join the Freedom Cell Network and you're the only one close by, there's nobody for 50 to 100 miles well, you know, just do what you can in the interim, build that message, spread that idea, go out and put up flyers, go try to talk to people and say, hey, I'm just looking for other people to work with a mutual aid group. You know, I mean, it's, it's just as simple as that. And then just let it grow and let it develop and then tell them, hey, by the way, there's a network of other people around the country who are also participating in this. So we're doing something bigger than just ourselves. Help people understand the the potential with it. And I, I think that's really what it's going to take is just building. And again, that's why um, this the, the necessity of this tour, because we want to get out there and help help build it. You know, we've been contacted by people in Salt Lake City and others who are like, hey, we're just getting it going. I've got a couple of people or we meet up every other week and we would love to hear from you guys and your experience, you know, and that that's going to be really inspiring, I think, to just get to meet to these other folks who are already working on this or, and maybe be even further along than we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've actually heard about a couple of similar or related things in, in Mexico. So I think this the, there's a, an archbishop, his name is Raul Vera Lopez. I think he's in, in the south in Chiapas or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he's, he's very anti-government. Um, he's probably not an anarchist, but he's uh, he's very critical of the Mexican government. And he says, well, if they're not going to do something, then we need to do something. So he's he started getting these communities together and ha- having these uh, public assemblies. So it's kind of like, I mean, I guess people would describe it as like a parallel government or it's like a community organization uh, to, to, you know, to address public problems. And there's also here in Guadalajara in, in Zapopan, um, there's a, a guy on a, he's like a member for the member for Sopopan and he set up this, this kind of system. The people that supported his campaign, 
um, they they call them nodes, and so there there is nodes all over District Ten in Sapopan, and they get together and you know have community events and discuss what needs to be resolved in the in their community as well. So it's very interesting. I th- I think this is kind of like how can I say it? It's like an an idea that we don't know exactly where it comes from, but but it's like something that's that's taking off out of nowhere. No, I agree. And that, I would love to hear more about that, man, if you want to send me some details on that later. And I, I totally agree with that because that is why I feel like when once I started to put the idea out, other people reached out and were like, hey, we'll check out this. Have you heard about this? And it's like, okay, we're not the only people that all of a sudden seem to think like we need to start getting together localized and smaller groups. And, um, and I do want to say just to kind of, I didn't mention this earlier, but to explain the concept a little bit deeper is the wording behind it. So there's two things, you know, the, the, the purpose of calling it a cell is, you know, if you can look in uh, warfare and strategy, it's it's a pretty common tactic to use different cells, some usually covert cells of, of individuals, groups of small people working covertly to accomplish a task. Um, and the state puts out propaganda about terror cells and things like that. So we wanted to kind of take a play on that and and have a cell that promotes freedom. And, 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 you know, this concept of cells being hidden and terror cells, you know, so kind of like a dark imagery where freedom cells, we work in the light, you know, we're out in the open, we're building this message of freedom and essentially what is love and community. Um, so I think that's important. And then also we take the cell in the, the sense that like every cell in our body is an individual, you know, organism, but it's also a part of this larger collective that is completing a task much bigger than itself. So that's how I see it is that each individual cell that we're building, you know, locally can connect to this larger organism. Like you said, it can be almost like a parallel government, but of course, without the uh, qualities and the characteristics that we know don't serve people and, and are, are oppressive. So I think that's important to remember too, is that we're, we're trying to build cells that can spread freedom can spread community can spread love and can be a parallel to you know the uh the state that we've seen so far and and hopefully lead us towards somewhere that's more free yes yes well there's this fascinating video uh of a lecture by bruce lipton are you familiar with bruce lipton yeah he does uh epigenetics right uh yeah he's a biologist yeah epigenetics and some other things yeah and and there's this video where he 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 talks about the the cells of the body or no he talks about certain amoeba and how when the amoeba get together um it's like this this sudden change and it and it seems like this evolution came out of nowhere but it's actually like all of all of these things getting together over time and then suddenly you can you can see that it's a new thing. So uh, the idea is, well, one idea is maybe this is like this next step in human evolution. How we can we can have these individual cells. And I think I think this came up uh, the other day reading your book, The Conscious Resistance, about how we we can respect the individual but have a collective as well. Um, and you know that can be the next step. Absolutely, I think that again, that's an important. I try, I try to emphasize that, and John and I tried to break that down in the first book because there seemed to be, you know, we're I'm an individualist, you know, I'm a proud individualist. I believe that the individual is one of the the smallest minorities that's always under threat, and that if we don't have individuals, then we we lose sight of everything, you know. But I also I like to say that. I'm after collective liberation through individual means, you know, so I, I do want to free myself, but I also realize that I'm only so free if everybody else I care about and love is still in chains, you know, that, that, that pretty much limits me in a lot of ways. So it's to my benefit that other people are unplugged and that other people are free. So I think that's important to remember that we can have um, structure, we can have organization, we can come together with other people without losing sight of our individual power. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And another thing I read in your book, I mentioned to you um, the, the point about Sumia. Um, so, so many people, when you talk about anarchy or having a stateless society, they say, well, that's, you know, that doesn't exist or, you know, that's that's impossible. It's utopian, whatever. But we um, there is this example of Zamir of, of maybe 100 million people living peacefully outside of government control and willfully outside of government control like they wanted they wanted to escape it uh and it's this this brilliant example of freedom there and uh you you point out how um there have probably been these civilizations uh or these these pockets of freedom outside of state control 
for thousands of years, but we just never hear about it because they're all they're they're like invisible. And and that's another thing is it's also a product of uh, the fact that the tyrants, the statists, they write the history, you know what I mean? So they're not really going to be promoting this concept that, hey, by the way, there was this group of people that lived outside of our <laughs> rules and regulations, and they seem to be pretty happy, uh, but don't, <laughs> don't pay any attention to them, though, you know. But yeah, Zomia is a great example of that. Uh, to anyone who's interested, uh, you know, we mentioned it in our book, but the, really the book that breaks it down is called The Art of Not Being Governed by James C. Uh-huh. Scott. And that's a really great book that I recommend to everyone. Um, I need to pick myself up a new copy. Uh, and he goes through and examines how it's not only just the history of these people, which is, you know, Zomia was never an actual, there's no state that you're going to find of that, but it's just the name that's given to this area of territory that's contiguous where all of the people in uh, Southeast Upland Asia were essentially in the mountainous regions where the state couldn't get to or wouldn't get to, uh, didn't want to bother. And people developed spiritual customs, agricultural customs, cultural customs that were definitively anti-state. And because they didn't want to go down into the valleys and the cities and be taxed, they didn't want to go there and have their land taken from them and deal with all this. So they chose to stay further up in the mountains and up in the hills and to develop their own customs that suited the lifestyle they want. You know, and this is really just what we're talking about, you know, that these these examples, these pockets, there's, you know, probably untold that that have come and gone. And maybe they only last for a certain period of time. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a failure in the sense that they were incapable of living or humans can't survive without the state. More than that, I would say it is an example of the aggressiveness of the state and the state's desire to swallow up anything that dares challenge it or live outside of its confines, you know. So, and this is, uh, you know, another point I want to make because I'll, I'll, I've been talking about freedom cells a lot in recent interviews, and, and I imagine we'll continue to do so. And one question that is pretty common that comes up is, well, this all sounds great and everything, but what are they going to do whenever the government comes with guns and tries to, you know, take them over or whatever? Their their happy little freedom cell is going to be uh, useless. For one, I think it, it would be kind of silly to assume that our communities and the message that we're preaching, you know, doesn't include self-defense. Self-defense of any kind is going to be valuable for anybody, whether that means you're trying to defend yourself against common criminals on the street or criminals who work for the state, you know, either way, like you want to be able to defend yourself against criminal behavior, regardless of where it's coming from. Um, And yes, the state will, has a history of approaching and condemning and eventually trying to control and dominate communities that seek more freedom uh, than they want to put forth. But I still think it's a worthy goal. Should we stand by and do nothing just because there's a fear of like, well, look, every community in the past that has grown has been swallowed up by the state eventually or they've been incorporated or the state has become aggressive. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything. I feel like we are blessed now to live in a time where we have all the knowledge of the past, of all the people who've ever tried to live free in different ways and build free communities. We've got that on the Internet available to us. We've got books, we've got more information than has ever been accessible, and we've got technology that people have never been able to use that can help us find ways to be more uh, decentralized and more free. So if anything, we have the best opportunity ever. You know, the, Yes, the state may have grown massively over the past couple hundred years, and people who were alive, anarchists who were alive in the past, may, if they were alive today, they probably would just be baffled by the amount of power and um, that the state has and the amount of uh, interest that they're in, engaged in with our lives. But still, we have so much available to us, knowledge, resources, technology. It's an incredible time to be alive. And I feel like we shouldn't get stuck in the fear that, you know, it'll get swallowed up like Zomia or people say, well, what about Waco, Texas? You know, they came in there to that religious community and they killed kids and they did these kind of things. I mean, these are all realistic possibilities. And this is definitely the way the state acts. But Mm -hmm. we should not allow our fears of these possible consequences to keep us from acting because even if there's a single slight opportunity for success, that should be enough motivation for us to push forward because the possibility of succeeding means something very great. You know, that means that we're going to be able to show people real world examples of how to live freely without with dealing with the state as minimally as possible, you know? And if that becomes a concept that grows and the communities flourish, then we're going to have whole generations raised and something completely different than the majority of us were given. Well, I, I think it's cool too because when you do, when you do have a small group of, of eight people, uh, like if you have a huge organization of, of thousands, like a huge assembly or, so, or something, uh, then it's it's going to be very obvious and there's not really much way to hide that. But if you just have eight people or like lots of groups of eight people, 
each group of eight people can kind of just disappear to some extent. They can just hide from the from the state. I think that's a pretty cool idea too. I hadn't really thought about that because I've thought I think about it in the reverse. It's like, hey, if we need if mm. there's trouble, we can come together as one yep. unit, you know. But then the same thing, like you said, you can easily disperse as well. It's not like there's this giant thing. It's like, well, let's go back to our individual communities, our individual um, actions, disperse, yep. and then come back together when there's a need, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, do you want to tell me a bit more about about your new book? Um, the book, the new book is called Manifesto of the Free Humans. It is going to be released uh, probably by the time this is out. It's going to be coming out April 7th, so next Friday. Um, it's uh, the third book in the Conscious Resistance series which is written by myself and John Vibes, who's a, another author and activist in on the East Coast uh, in the U.S. And we have been writing this book series now for going on three years. We didn't. We met in 2012, we, and we did podcasts for a couple of years, sort of realizing that we had both had an interest in spirituality and explorations of consciousness and psychedelics and shamanism, as much as volunteerism and anarchism and uh, ideas like non-aggression. And over a couple of years of podcasting and, and just talking about it, we realized that, hey, we might have, you know, some material here that should be put into something, you know, that should be turned into a book. And it was around that time that I was also discovering the concept of the conscious resistance, which it came to me in the summer of uh, 2012 originally. Yeah, 2012. And you know, I was just having difficulty at that time trying to um, to live a life where I was dividing these these uh, values in my life. For example, I, I'm involved in activist circles and political circles. So that there was that aspect of myself, but I was also involved in meditation circles and, you know, conscious spiritual communities, but I tended to always keep these worlds separate, you know, inside to me, they were one and the same, but I would like, okay, well, let me not talk about my activism over here and let me not bring in my spiritual beliefs over here. But over time, it just became more and more difficult. I just realized like these were one thing, like they needed to be the same message. They fed into each other. And uh, summer 2012, I had like three or four days where I just couldn't sleep. And I was doing, going through one of those periods of deep down the rabbit hole and lots of research. And then, you know, the phrase just came to me and I was like, wow, I need to like, that's what it is. It's like, I need to bring it all together and really push this message of spiritual evolution and spiritual liberation as much as uh, physical liberation. And in the conversations that John continued, and we, we came up with the first book, Reflections on Anarchy and Spirituality, which is sort of the the primer, the basis. We cover a lot of material, love it, a lot of ground, and a lot of references because you know we want to give people a lot to chew on and to think about. And some of it is probably for people who've been uh, involved in research for a number of years. Some of it's probably things they've heard, ho hopefully presented in some some new context. But others is probably new to a lot of people. And we didn't anticipate that we were going to be writing a trilogy. We just put out that first book on its own, and then within about six months or so, John and I met up again. Because we only get to see, we've only seen each other in person like six or seven times, you know, over the years. Um, and so we connected again and then realized that we had more material that we both felt like, you know what, I think there might be another step to this. Like maybe we have something else to say. And then before we, before we knew it, we started developing this idea of like a trilogy that would come out. And so we put out the second book last year, which is called Finding Freedom in an Age of Confusion. And what we like to tell people is the first book is like the body because it explains the full context. Like here's here's some anarchist history, here's some of our personal spiritual history, here's some stuff about psychedelics, and trying to weave it all together and and show people something powerful. Uh, then the next book, Fighting Freedom, is is like the emotional center. It's the heart of the message because it's just a set of essays that are about empowerment. It really is meant to come to those individuals who are experiencing maybe anger, fear, doubt, or confusion. You know, the sort of things that happen to a lot of us whenever we're going through uh, difficult things and just starting to you know wake up to the, the world. It can be a difficult place. Sometimes people get depressed, they get apathetic, or they just stay in a very angry state. So these essays are written for those. Like it also ends with the second half of that book has <clears throat> meditations and positive affirmations and different tools that we hope will kind of uplift the individual. And this third book, Manifesto of the Free Humans, is you know, we're calling it the mind because this is more of the philosophical aspect and it's also the do-it-yourself handbook guide to vacating the state. You know, John and I wanted to write as much as possible, like a literal handbook for tips to get out, you know. So it's a good mix of history, philosophy, and uh, the, the practical steps. Like, here's things you can do. Download this, this app and try this. Try these steps. Do that, you know. So 
it, it goes deep into freedom cells and it goes into the intentional community. Um, it looks at some uh, some of the history of the individualist anarchist movement in the United States and some of the lessons we've learned from there. And then also asks some different questions about how people can uh, coexist in this potentially stateless society. You know, how would we deal with environmental issues or immigration or borders and different things like that? So we talk about a lot of those issues and give our take on them. And I think we offer some fresh uh, viewpoints on on these subjects that haven't really been put forth. We really did try hard to um, put these are you know in the, in the last two books I feel like it wasn't that John and I didn't were wishy washy or anything like that, but there were certain issues and you may be able to sense this in the first book like property and some other things where we we're kind of like our views are still developing. We're not going to like plant a flag firmly in one camp yet. You know what I mean? Like this is where we're at, but we're still learning and we're still evolving our own ideas. So this book, we really kind of hammer down, like, this is what we believe. These are the ideas we support. But at the same time, reemphasizing that we're willing to work with nearly everybody, you know, unless you're out there just a tyrant declaring that you want to, you know, enslave other people or, um, you know, something aggressive and violent like that, more than likely we're willing to find common ground and focus on on those goals and, and build together. Uh, so it's it's meant to be as much of a handbook as possible. I'm excited. I'm extremely excited about it. We actually just posted on the website. If you go to theconsciousresistance.com slash books, there's a link to it there. And it has a list of the chapters and it has a list of uh, like kind of a little summary of the book. And you can actually already order it off CreateSpace or Amazon. Um, and people are, I think people are already starting to get their books in the mail. I don't even have my own copy yet, but I should have one by next week. And then it'll be officially released April 7th uh, at the Free Your Mind Conference in Philadelphia. And then, like I said, we're going to get ready for the tour and just take the message with us on the road this summer. Great. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's all my questions. Did you have anything else you want to say or promote or shout out? Uh, no, man. I really just I appreciate the work that you're doing. It was awesome to hear you perform. I want to say that, Anarcho Poco, dude. You're, you're very talented, and I want you to come down and perform in Houston whenever you want to. We'd love to have you out here. and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful and blessed that every day I get to talk to other beautiful people who are working on powerful, powerful things and that this is the life that, you know, we've created for ourselves. We get to spend it trying to make the world a better place and what's more beautiful than that. So thank you for the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Derek. It's, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to know you. (laughs) Absolutely, brother. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Derek Bros. Next week, I've got an interview coming up with my friend, Carrie Giudici, talking about a new system of education, a decentralized network of mentorship. So that should be really interesting. Uh, That's in the works. Remember, if you like the show, it doesn't hurt to contribute a little bit. You can jump on over to patreon.com slash paradise paradox and pledge a monthly contribution like $1, $5, $10, whatever you like. And that will help us continue this show, support it, and keep the new fresh content coming and the fat rhymes. So thanks so much for tuning in. Great to see you. And I'll catch you next week. Bye.